welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summary. Hey, ready? This week, I am joined by Dr. Abena Bubbers Jones, and she is an occupational health physician and founder of Medic Footprints. Medic Footprints is a doctor led organization on a mission to dramatically elevate health outcomes in the world by connecting ambitious, high growth health tech companies with the best in medical talent. We can learn all about it with Abena now. So, welcome, Abena. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, James. Really great to be featured on your podcast and to connect yet again. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. And finally, right, I'm surprised you're doing 300 episodes without you coming on is uh, quite the feat. I'm surprised that I've actually managed to get this far um, without chatting to you on it. I know, absolutely horrific, absolutely horrific, but exactly, we're here now better late than never. So whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Abena, first of all? I am in a village old it's called Aylesford so for those of you that know the UK it's near Maidstone in Kent I moved out of London nice. during like post-pandemic I say peri-pandemic about last year basically yeah to go and live in the country <laughs> like many of us <laughs> ideal ideal same here I escaped to Surrey so just the other side Ooh. yeah you're not too far away at all All right, so let's talk about some health tech stuff. So, um, I mean, the first question that I tend to ask is for you to tell your story. Uh, Your story's a really interesting one, and actually you've almost built a career out of your own story, which is quite exciting for us all to hear about. Um, Starting as a medic and then being not a medic and doing interesting things and now helping other people do interesting things that perhaps aren't suited to medicine anymore. So... Yeah, let's talk about it. And you're helping health tech companies, of course, with exactly that. So let's talk about it. Why don't you kick off and tell us a bit about your story and tell us the long version. Oh, a long version of the story of Abena Bubbers-Jones. Actually, I'll go, I'll go back to before I actually went into medicine. I was probably one of the generation whereby my parents were like, you either do law or you do medicine, full stop. Right. Um, in the background, I was also into music. I was very creative. But, you know, when it came to crunch time, I had to choose between the two, realistically. And so I chose medicine. And as you know, you know, we have to do a lot to get into medicine. It's not easy. Not only do you have to demonstrate that you've got good academic abilities, but you've also got to show that you're very well-rounded, have lots of extracurricular activities, be able to think broadly outside of the box, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I did my medical degree at Nottingham. Nottingham is a wonderful university, everyone. I would highly recommend it. I think one of the concerns I had actually training in Nottingham is that I wouldn't be able to get back to London to get the jobs. Because in those days, they were like, you you have to train, you have to start your training, your postgrad training in the area you've done your undergrad. But literally the year that I graduated, they changed that. So luckily... I came back and did my foundation like Northwest Thames. And so at the time I was hoping to do Obs and Gynae as a career and amazingly I got it as my first rotation and I did Obs and Gynae and I was like, nah, that's not for me. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) not for me. And like increasingly for every rotation, I was like, I don't really feel like my skills are being utilized in the way that I was expecting as a clinician, as a doctor. Most of my work seemed to be more administrative. 
like having the clinical um, training helped, but it was basically what I would call as a glorified medical secretary. And I really do think that got me down, especially towards my F2. And that's when I started looking for other options, basically. Um, not just, not other options outside of medicine, but just generally other, how can I use my clinical skills in, in a better way? Or even my knowledge in a better way. Kind of probably similar to what you did, James, when uh, mm. you were kind of looking outside of the clinical, going proactively going to talk to... Well, yeah, I looked at public health. Public health was where I thought I could use my skills, yeah. knowledge in the best way possible. I Yeah, I, I fully applied for public health. Yeah, so I get it. I, I And yeah, I looked within medicine, definitely. And I know people that have gone to like clinical pathology, I think, and like other stuff like that, like really interesting facets within medicine that I, you are not told about in medical school that even exist. And you're like, wow. Exactly. Hence a conference we're running in two weeks. <laughs> but that's another story. That's nice plug. Like nice, seamless. Okay, so, yeah, anyone who wants to go who's listening to it, Hidden Gems, 3rd of March, come along. It's about clinical, exactly what James said, specialties that you never knew existed. Um, so yeah, so moving nice. on, basically, I saw link for other options. At the time, doctors.net was the thing, the online forum for doctors. It still is, but not mm. so much, but that's another story. I saw a post from someone coming from back from South Africa, and they were looking for orthopedic doctors. And I was like, hey, South Africa, that sounds a bit different. At the time, everyone else was going to Australia, which I, I personally felt probably wouldn't have added mu that much more of a different perspective on a healthcare experience because it's very similar to the UK in many ways. Um, so a few, fast forward a few years later, South Africa, I went for the first time ever. So yes, I am black, but actually I have no ties to South Africa whatsoever. And my family are not from Africa. Well, not directly from Africa, I should say. We're all from Africa, aren't we? But yeah, not directly. <laughs> um, and that in itself was quite an interesting. I had some challenges being a black woman who could only really speak English in Zululand. Yeah. And, you know, being a doctor and practicing medicine. But I have to say, the time I spent in South Africa was the most rewarding two years of my life from a professional perspective at the time, simply because I realized that I loved medicine. I really loved medicine. Nice. And, you know, I came out thinking, oh, am I going to have to quit medicine and find another career? And I spent my time there going, shit, I love this is medicine. This is for me. <laughs> and I reflect back and say, why did I feel like that? And I think it was, it was a different challenging environment. So I worked at a secondary referral hospital. It was semi-rural. We had a CT scanner. We had an MRI that was always broken. We had different departments. But we also got referrals from the really rural provinces. And it was just, I felt I had more autonomy. I had to learn quicker, really steep learning curve. I felt valued as well. And also the, the work-life balance. Even though you worked really hard, you worked like, like full-day shifts and nights and the next day, the balance I had was that you got to enjoy Southern Africa, which if any of you've been away in that area of the world, it's stunning, absolutely stunning. Um, so that balance really gave me a new perspective on life and what could be achieved. And coming back to the UK, I think I made the decision that I needed to do something outside of my usual NHS practice as a doctor. Um, because going back to the beginning, I had to demonstrate I had a lot of extracurricular skills to bring to medicine, but they weren't being utilized in my day-to-day -day practice. 
And they realised actually there were a lot of doctors thinking the same way, feeling the same way, looking for other options, talking about doing something outside of the NHS, whether you wanted to leave or just diversify or have a portfolio career. At the time, it was more taboo than anything else. Mm. Uh, it just wasn't really talked about. And if it was, it was kind of like under the cover and hush, hush, hush. Things are definitely way more different now. But that's what I noticed. So that's why I started Medic Footprints, really as a vehicle to support doctors and connect them with diverse and alternative career opportunities, whether that's NHS or not NHS, whether that's healthcare or not healthcare. And at the time, I changed from being a surgeon, which is what I was doing in South Africa. That was trauma surgery and lots of stories associated with that, to occupational medicine, which is workplace health. It's working with businesses. It's really getting to understand how businesses work. It's really getting into the, the real grit of like understanding people within businesses and risk assessments and health. And, you know, so all of those things coming together really, really suit, suit me now. So I've been doing occupational health for like seven years, seven, eight years now. And the fact that I'm saying that out loud scares me because usually I never do things for that long. I'm the kind of person that I get bored, I move on. But Medic Footprints and occupational health are two things that I've done for at least eight, nine years now. And I still love them. still absolutely love them. Awesome. So my first question is about your early career. I think you, you mentioned that as an F1, mm-hmm. you felt like it was, you know, glorified admin, basically, your glorified medical secretaries you talked about, doing yeah. a lot of administrative tasks. Yeah. You know, I would argue I felt the same. Everybody mm-hmm. that I, I know feels the, the same way in F1. And that obviously then bleeding into F2. And I think in the, the modern world, everything is protocolized and it can feel a bit conveyor belty and all the rest of it. I guess my counter here is that that is still the first two years of medicine, isn't it? It is still the first two years of a job. Now that you've helped people into other careers, is that an expectation? Isn't that a fair expectation of most jobs that you're bottom of the ladder? You are going to be doing more of the admin tasks and that kind of thing. Because the reason I ask is that I know a lot of people and, and a lot of people come to me, message me on LinkedIn with the same frustration at F1. And I think it's it's perhaps unfair to judge medicine on that first year. I think you are going to be used more for your skills later. You do still have time to fall in love with medicine. And I do say that to a lot of people, like even though I've gone and done different things, I, I still think people should give themselves a bit of time to fall in love with it. And like your hidden gems thing as well, you know, you can then go and discover where your skills and expertise can be used. And I think, I guess, yeah, loaded question perhaps, but is it fair to judge medicine on that first year being so admin heavy? I think that's a really interesting perspective, actually, James. I think we need to reconsider what kind of people we are attracting into the workforce and why. That's a good point. And I guess my other question on the back of your question is why when, you know, especially let's say in the NHS, we've got limited funds. We want to make sure we utilise every single penny that's, that we have, right, for patient care. Why, say, two years of that are spent on doctors doing admin work? Because at the end of the day, this is why, you know, they've, they've brought in allied health professionals that are essentially doing the job of a doctor besides some of the higher level decision making, like physician associates or nurses even do a lot of the works of doctors now. Secretaries can do a lot of the works of doctors, yeah. like medicals, like, you know, professional medical secretaries. So why, why use some of the best talent 
like that we've trained for five, six years to be focusing on those admin tasks. I mean, like, you know, back in the, say back in the day when I first graduated in 2006, I mean, a lot of like my notes were like handwritten, right? Now we have technology and a mm-hmm. lot of things can be automated. A lot of things we've done much quicker, right? And yes, we know the importance of clinical note keeping, blah, blah, blah. And I would hope, because I mean, like I said, I haven't worked in the NHS as a junior doctor on that level. I hope a lot of that workload has been removed or deleted or whatever. But I, I suspect that that probably has increased just because it's been yeah. made easier. So the workload actually in some ways is higher because mm. they're spreading it across what, like giving someone more work to do. Yeah. That makes well, look, sense. I, 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 it does. It does. I think you're right. I, I, and I think you're absolutely right on the technology bit as well, because as, as, as health tech continues to proliferate, it continues to change the role of clinicians generally, I think. And you're right. What are we selecting for? If historically we've selected for being able to hold a lot of information, that doesn't carry as much weight anymore. So why do we require such academic Not rigor? If that, if that academic rigor tests the ability to remember facts, and I'm generalizing massively here, but you know, common criticisms of our UK education system. But if 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 we're selecting for that, then why do those good grades mean you'd be a good doctor? And and yes, we're assessing communication skills and all the rest of it, but I guess you're right. You know, I, I think you're right. I think the the way that we assess clinicians and bring them in, I, I believe needs to change, not least because of all the technology that's coming in and the fact that we could build a system. You know, if you had everything as it was now and you built a system from scratch, would it look like the system we currently had? Well, obviously not. But what would be different? How would it be different? It's super interesting, definitely. And you're helping a lot of health tech companies at the moment. So you must have a, a decent view of the tech space and what clinicians are doing in technology and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, var- it's really varied and broad. And that translates to the type of what it takes to be a great clinician or a great doctor. You have to be able to adapt. I mean, as humans, we adapt, but doctors in particular adapt to so many different austere in many cases um, environments whether that's the specialty or the type of people they're working with like you know these days you know working with the same team is is sometimes unheard of day to day but we adapt and we work and we do our best for patients and so the way that translates in particular to working in health tech companies you can hire a, a clinician or a doctor as a doctor to do the doctory stuff so see patients blah 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 that's, that's the most common way that health techs will hire doctors. But what we're seeing increasingly more of is getting doctors in at leadership level, so as a chief medical officer. And that, as you know, like CMO roles can be really broader than themselves. That could be operational. That could be product related. That could be data analysts. I know several clinicians or doctors who have become software developers. I mean, commercial as well. I think a lot of companies do overlook the fact that I know naturally your average doctor will not really have much of a commercial bone in their body, especially if they've been working in the private sector. But there are, especially in our community, there are quite a few doctors who have on their own volition gone out and got experience in a commercial setting, whether that's say with their family 
or at another company or started their own business. And these are the kind of people that would end up working at health tech in a commercial setting. Oh, for example, you've got Taryn, who you, uh, from Holland and Barrett, who you interviewed not too Absolutely, long ago. Absolutely, yeah. Taryn, interestingly, he started off in GP and he used Medic Footprints uh, back in whenever it was, 2015 or 16, to meet one of his co-founder for Medic Spot at the time at one of our events. And as a result, you know, you can see where that's gone. Wow. <laughs> that's just one example of how our, our platform and our networks can really help transform a doctor's life yeah. experience and how that value then translates into healthcare wellness. I mean, Holland and Barrett, as you know, it's a, it's a, it's a giant of a wellness brand. And they are doing some really exciting things, setting off, starting up new businesses in this area um, for consumers. And they're, they're hiring doctors. Those of them, if you go on our website now, you can see there's some ads for that. Yeah, so they're putting doctors at the forefront of, of their wellness strategies, which every company should be doing if they're not doing already. That's really interesting. And so from a health tech company perspective, you could be Holland and Barrett, you could be two co-founders looking for a first hire anywhere along that spectrum. You've talked about some of the different roles that clinicians can fill, but if you're on that, if you're giving advice to one of those health tech companies, what would what are you looking for in those clinicians? What makes them a good hire? Or indeed, if you're speaking to those people themselves, you know that are looking to do this stuff, what should they be self aware enough to realize? What's good about them that would make them a good fit? And so. What's a, a doctor that can fit into a tech company versus one that perhaps can't? Like, what are those qualities, do you think, from what you've seen? I think that's a really good question. And actually, the one, one of the core things I would caution a lot of these industry, as well as health tech, is that there's an increasing number of doctors who are looking to leave the NHS in particular because they're feeling burnt out, they're stressed, they're looking for other options. And what you need to avoid is hiring those particular doctors who are basically motivated by the push factors rather the push, than the pull factors, if that makes any sense. And I always advise those kind of doctors because they, 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 they genuinely don't know what they want to do. And it's not much of an investment when you're hiring someone who's literally confused and actually just needs a lot of coaching and therapy. <laughs> Very interesting. So that's the number one thing I would say to companies who are looking to hire doctors. Just be aware of that being a huge factor for a lot of people. How does that manifest itself out of interest? What does that actually look like in those you know individuals? Like, do, do they do they come saying anything particular? How, how do you so spot it's those? It's really difficult. It's really interesting because my husband is a non-medic and I work with him. And, you know, sometimes I say, hey, I get really anxious about, you know, sometimes. And he's like, I, I can't tell when you're anxious because you really put on a great front. Mm. And the reality is, as doctors, we are professionals and putting on a great front because that's what we have to do for our patients all the time. So it is so difficult to spot. And I, I wouldn't say, oh, you know, because when I think when we come to work, we give it our all. <laughs> you know, even if we're not even 100%, you may still think we are 100%. But the reality is, things may seem good for a time, and then there'll be a crisis point, and then we'll be off work. But it will be literally off work in hospital, 
rather than off work in bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we do things really last minute, really last minute. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have an answer like how someone can screen that objectively other than making sure you have a good health screening or well-being screening process at the start. I would also make sure you ask them why are you interested in this job? And that's one of the, the things that we do when we're getting people to apply for jobs. We don't get them to submit a CV as a first step on our site. We say, express your interests and specifically say why you're interested. And that actually does tell you a lot about the individual. And if they have not read the job description or if they are looking for an easy way out, they will simply just talk about themselves without reference to the job itself. So talking about yourself is fine, but you have to refer to why those skills are valuable to that company and what their mission and values are. So those are kind of nuanced ways you can tell, or they're like, I'm a GP and I'm looking for other options. Sometimes people do that and it's like, big no-no. <laughs> big no-no. And then they, you see you see the application come up like 10 times on different jobs on your site. It's like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I think I think it's it's really good advice, and I think that's also good advice for those looking to do something else as well. One of the most important things is being self-aware enough that you that you go to something that you are going to like, and it's so important to know yourself first. I just identify so much with that though, of like that feeling of just of, of feeling frustrated and burnt out and wanting to do something different is overwhelming, and you're just like anything else, just like anything else. Is the salary about the same? cool I'll go into consulting it must be better it's interesting that to know yourself first and know what you're going to fit into is such an important step and I think even when we think about health tech now there's just so many places that people can fit into a health tech company right like as you said you can go into leadership and chief medical officer you don't even have to use your medical stuff you could do something different you could be you know in my world you'd be on you could be on content you can be doing media stuff you can be there's so many different places that you can be utilized and used and and it's not the money that's going to make you happy at that point you need to be on a on a better path that's just going to be right for you and i think yeah within those health tech companies it works both ways as the individual you could be applying for lots of different roles within those health tech companies but for the health tech companies themselves they could consider clinicians in a lot of different places and i think that's something that you brought to the table for me there that i hadn't really considered before I mean, we, we've worked with companies who are hiring doctors in particular. When you say clinicians, I always specifically say doctors because I'm referring mm. just doctors here. Sure. Because that, that is what, what we specialise in. They are hiring doctors not because they want doctors for their clinical skills or even their clinical knowledge. It's the inherent abilities that that particular individual has in order to have become and worked as a doctor that they are interested yeah. in. Like, and like, for example, we've got a client who works with companies in the US, like really big brand companies, as a kind of innovation consultancy, and they are looking specifically for doctors. And another discussion we can have is, at what point of your career as a doctor, do you decide mm-hmm. to say, move into industry or start doing other things? Do you have to have developed, you know, years and years in specialty training and become a consultant? Or actually, is your value right at the start? And this particular company was looking at doctors in the early years, like preferably. And I asked this question on my own uh, webinar that we do twice a week with uh, with high, you know, high high flying, but high level doctors in high level roles. 
as to when they left. And they've all left at different times, but they're all really successful. And I think it really comes down to the individual. Having a broad base of experience in medicine helps, but I know people that didn't even bother starting <laughs> their foundation years and are working at like Deloitte, McKinsey, you know. It, it's about those inherent qualities, that person that actually enabled them to be successful and pass that medical school. Very good point. Again, very good point. And I get asked this a lot from both sides. I get asked it from health tech companies, at what point, you know, has someone done enough? Or at what point have they done too much? And the companies are worried, like, at what point is the best time to hire someone that's coming out of medicine? And and on the reverse, I get asked by those individuals, how long should I stay in? Or or should I go now? Or is it best? But I always say it's it's so individual. Like, for me personally, it was... I need my 10,000 hours. I really want to get my 10,000 hours. And at that point I feel like I've got a specialty and like, it feels that I can say I was one. And that was just very personal to me, but you're absolutely right. Like it is so individual and I I can't correlate success to when, to when people go and you've got far more data than me on that. And if you can't, then, you know, absolutely. It becomes a much more individual choice and back to that self-awareness thing, doesn't it? On the thread of that topic, have you been asked by companies, should I hire a specialist or a non-specialist doctor for this company? Yes, I have. And the reality of the answer, hands held up, I don't know. I cannot speak to an individual and whether or not they'd be better as a generalist, specialist, pre-specialist training, post-specialist training, I don't know. In an N equals one study, it's impossible. Um, So I've you know, very cautiously sat on the fence with all that, what would be your opinion? My, my advice would be it really depends on what you need them to do in the role. So you have to look at the granular details of the role itself. And sometimes people just want someone who's like the face of the company, say, for example, dermatology. You want a dermatologist yeah. to be the face of the company and put them in a CML role. But the reality is that pool of specialists is actually relatively tiny compared to the wider pool of doctors and if you want someone who has also got commercial experience who's worked in health tech startups like you could probably count that and a dermatologist would probably count that per, like those people on like two hands you know what I mean mm. so it really is about the size of the market and what particularly you want them to do in that that specific role um, and those roles can always be split up so you get the best of both worlds so you're not having to use that, say, dermatologist seven, five days a week, you might get them in as like an expert occasionally and then have another doctor who is able to do the broader work. But then I've seen lots of health tech companies who specialise in a certain area that don't have a single specialist on their team and they're thriving. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation. There's no right or wrong answer. But yeah. I think it's more like, especially if you're on the early stages and you don't necessarily have the budget to be, you know, hiring a high level consultant who is top of their game, it's not the end of the world. And you can get you can get around that without any issues. I think that's a good it's a good answer. It's a good sensible answer that appreciates the complexity that realistically you're right. If you're looking for someone in more of a leadership role or more of a uh, ambassador role then yes, the the higher up, the better makes sense as a concept. And similarly, for someone that's writing content or that kind of thing, if they're more junior, does it matter? Perhaps not. 
But yeah, I think case by case, definitely. Tell me how Medic Footprints works, because you've mentioned it a few times now. Obviously, you've used the word client, so you can work on that company side and almost sounds like a recruitment company, dare I say it. But yeah, talk to me about Medic Footprints. How do you define it? What is it? What do you do? How do you, uh, how do you run that as a business? I'm interested. Yeah, so I, I really love the question because when I first started Medic Footprints, I just remember I came from the NHS and I'm a doctor. I had no experience in business whatsoever. Been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My co-founder was, um, she's actually my best friend from school. Oh. Uh, she is an accountant background and law background. And when I started, I was like, we just start a company and everything should be free because that's what I was used to in the NHS, right? Everything being free. Of course. Uh, and that had to change very, very, that mindset had to change very quickly. And over the years, it really was about identifying what we were because we were focusing, the reason why I started it was really to support doctors in their career transitions. But then particularly over the last few years, and having you know monetized through advertising and yes recruitment recruitment doesn't have to be a dirty word but everyone knows what that means it means basically connecting an individual with a company for the purpose of job you know mm-hmm. that's it you know not a bad thing the activities that we do now is we have our community of doctors who we provide you know plenty of free and premium resources for to help them in their career transitions so as well as a network um, we've also got our client base who we work with in attracting doctors so even though predominantly we do jobs we also do other opportunities for doctors such as courses events you name it anything that's valuable to doctors who are looking to transition beyond the conventional pathways and yes in the recruitment element there are two main things that we were doing more of above and beyond your usual jobs board. So we know in the past jobs board, you know, they work really well. You put a job up, someone comes. But as you know, with talent these days, you have to be way more proactive in and targeted in particular in getting the right people you need for your business because otherwise it can be so, so costly. And the reality is the best doctors for your health tech or whatever company, they are not sitting like kind of just um, sifting for jobs day to day. And as I, the, the people that are doing that are the ones that I've mentioned earlier who are likely depressed and just looking for a way out, right? Those are the ones you don't want to be attracting. Not everyone, but a lot of people don't mm-hmm. do that. So what you really, what we're doing more of now is uh, recruitment marketing, which is a mix of really learning how to define the doctor that you need raising a visibility as a company and then inviting them for a conversation no i didn't say application there i said conversation because <laughs> it was always about relationships that's what we specialize on you could call it employer branding if you want that's another word yeah. or two words people like to throw about but that's the one thing the other thing we also do is um headhunting which yes is more of a traditional recruitment process but that is reserved for doctors in senior level roles again those those ones are really that that kind of activity I always say is really important if you've got a business critical role that needs a doctor 
again, for similar reasons. But, you know, the doctors that we found for our headhunting roles, they weren't, they don't necessarily see jobs job ads because they're working or they're doing something or they're in other companies enjoying their jobs. And you need someone to do the dirty for you. <laughs> if you're looking Absolutely. for one of the best talents you could find. And some of that means doing the difficult work of actually trying to poach someone from another company. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, so those are the two main things. We also, we also do kind of standard advertising and things like that. And one of our unique selling points is that we have access to, one of our goal, our assets is our community, but also uh, the online communities of doctors, right? So there's so many groups out there, predominantly on Facebook, that are only accessible to doctors. And being a member of several groups that have over 30,000, 40,000 doctors looking at, looking at diverse career opportunities, like curated groups that are specific and they talk about what they want to talk about and no recruiter can get in there those are the main differences from us and say your average recruitment or even digital marketing company like if you want to find a great doctor you need a doctor driven recruitment yeah. campaign basically so, because doctors are really discerning i mean you know that we're really discerning and yeah. risk averse and actually most most we see lots of conversations happening amongst doctors and I'll see a job ad and they'll be like, what was it like working there? Is anyone working there? Has anyone got any insider info on that? And it takes a while for them to be like, actually, is it worth my time having a conversation? Again, having a conversation, not applying. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Love it. And finally, Abena, are you enjoying it? Yeah, I am. Like, as I said to you before, James, I get bored very easily <laughs> and I need a lot of things to kind of entertain me, right? However, the two things that I have stuck to because I must enjoy it and I do enjoy it because I are medic footprints because I see the outcomes. I see how it transforms people's lives. What I love the most is when someone says, hey, medic footprints, I came to it. It helped me get this job. And I've been able to transform my career as a result of it or it changed my life. Like that really, really touches my heart. And the other is occupational health. Like it's, I, I still work as a practicing occupational health physician. I do five clinics a month. I do some work with the NHS. Some of that also involves supporting doctors who are experiencing mental health concerns. I love that too. So yes, I do enjoy it. They're challenging. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I've stuck to it, because it's an ongoing challenge. So I could never get bored. That's awesome. <laughs> and good for you. all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, good for you. And I think you are clearly, I say becoming, you are a, a very important cornerstone of what is going on in health tech right now. Um, I think only becoming more important as well, as we've talked about, as roles are changing, as as companies require and can access this knowledge, this skill set, this type of individual more and more. I think they will be sought because, as you've quite rightly pointed out, plenty of them are flying very high in these companies and some of them not doing anything medical related anymore because they are just talented individuals. And I think it's a very it's a, it's an incredible amount of resource that you put out. I've seen a lot of your LinkedIn live stuff. Like there's loads of stuff that you're doing that's um, 
that's adding so much value that free layer of things that you've got going on in your marketing layer is is I would encourage everybody to check out, including your website and and following you on social media. Um, was it you that put out the Google job for uh, for the occupational health thing recently? I know someone did um, that I saw. Um, Google looking for an occupational oh, yeah, health well, lead. It wasn't me, you know. Someone, yeah, there was like an OH job, but it was in the I US. I thought of you when I saw that. And, Abena, is what yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 t- I messaged him and said, if, you, if you're coming to the UK, send me a message. Nice. Yeah. That's, nice. Uh, that is nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. I'm not moving um, to the US. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, look forward to seeing everything that you're up to and uh, we'll catch up next time. For In fact, I might as well tell the audience this, we're looking to do a season, probably be season three or four of the podcast. We're going to do a few episodes. We're going to do them in video. We're going to do them in person. We're going to be doing fun stuff. So Abena and I may well go bouldering and uh, have a conversation about health tech, which you might see on YouTube. We have but, uh, to go bouldering, James. I think we'll we have, have to do have it. have to go we'll bouldering. We'll do it. We'll do it. I've said it now. It's recorded. It's recorded. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. First episode, man. Amazing. I'm up for it. Amazing. Perfect. Abain, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.